Hey, so uh, this morning we're going to finish off um, our, our series on uh, called How It Be Your Name. And what we've been doing with this whole thing is just um, going, we talked through the book of Ecclesiastes uh, prior to Christmas. And here, uh, so much of that was just longing and searching for like meaning and truth and everything. Um, this series has been all about um, connecting with God and, and kind of digging into the, the theological truths of who is God actually and what does that mean for us. And we've covered a lot of ground. So we've talked about um, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, how they relate to each other, how we relate to each of them. Um, we've talked about the cross and how through Jesus we get invited into um, this forgiveness and reconciliation, healing in our relationship with God. We've talked about the design for the church, and then we talked most recently through the four G's, the fact that God is great, God is glorious, God is good, um, and God is, they say gracious, glorious, good, and great. Thank you. Thank you. The four G's that I that are very memorable, and, um, <laughs> and, uh, and we talked through just all that is all about these attributes of God and how, like, how he relates to us, how we relate to him. It's, it's the most beautiful thing. We started this series um, by talking first about our posture towards God. And so our posture, when we come, like our, our posture is our default approach to the world and things around us. It kind of just shapes like, how, like what kind of a world am I living in? And, and, um, and so we said when it comes to um, God himself and studying God, the proper posture towards God is what? Does anyone remember? Worship. Yes, that's it. The proper posture towards God is worship because we're coming to him. We're not trying to understand everything about him. We're not trying to make sense of everything about him. We're not trying to know it all so that we can explain it to everyone else. We're trying to um, come to him and say, Lord, you are great, and, and I, am, I am humble before you, and I'm worshiping you, declaring your value. This morning, as we close out the series, we're going to come back to that same spot. Worship is the proper posture towards God. This morning we're going to talk about how worship is the proper response to God. So now that we've talked about it, now that we've encountered him, now, now that we've gotten into all these theological truths and, and addressed it, we want to close it off again by talking about worship because it pulls us back into this place of when we encounter God and we see him, um, our hearts our hearts that are uh, w- like worshiping hearts, they need to be that. Um, and and, I, and the reason we talk about this, um, it, the reason I want to pick the passage that I did this morning is um, because I think we need to be startled sometimes out of our numbness. So in the church, the constant danger is we become numb to who God actually is and what he's calling us to and what it's like to encounter him. Um, Flannery O'Connor is, uh, I, I love her immensely. She is a, uh, was a fiction writer in the, in the 20th century. And she says, when you can assume that your audience, the people that you're writing for, hold the same beliefs that you do, you can relax a little and use more normal means of talking to the audience. When you have to assume that it does not share your same beliefs, then you have to make your vision apparent by shock. To the hard of hearing, you shout, and for the almost blind, you draw large and startling figures. So she's saying her, her, her fiction was like pretty, pretty shocking at times. She's saying you've got to do that sometimes to get people's attention. This passage we're going to look at this morning is exactly that. It's startling. There's, it's shocking. It's, um, it's amazing. Um, but it all comes from this place of um, trying to help us see, get out of our numbness and help us to see what we're doing when we're worshiping God. So if you have your Bible, Hebrews 12 is where we're going this morning. Um, I'll put it on the screen for us. Um, but Hebrews 12, and what it does in Hebrews 12 is it gives us two mountains that it's going to contra- compare and contrast. There's Mount Sinai, where Israel encountered God in the Old Testament. And then there's uh, Mount Zion, where, uh, where basically we get to eventually be with God in the end of it all. And he contrasts these two mountains. I'm going to start in verse 18 of Hebrews chapter 12. For you have not come to what may be touched 
a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages, messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. I'm going to pause there. This is his description of the first mountain. It's this picture uh, that we get in, in um, Exodus 19, a picture of Israel coming. They've been rescued out of slavery. They've been brought by, uh, by God miraculously through the Red Sea, right? And they, they're coming now, and now it's almost like for the first time they're meeting their God. They've been worshiping him and whatever, but they're, he's like introducing himself to them on Mount Sinai, and they come to it. And the picture that we get, that we get here is trying to help us see like how intense this was for Israel. Um, I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually read um, Exodus 19, uh, this, this little piece of it for you. Um, and, uh, and look at this, this little chunk and this little story in Exodus 19, starting in verse 16. L- try to picture yourself, if you can, there looking up at the mountain as Israel did. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. What a, what a like epic scene, right? Like just the, the drama of this whole thing of like you're picturing Israel and they've just been led out miraculously from like 400 years of slavery and they're like this God is like, I'm going to meet you on this mountain. So think of the anticipation of like, I'm going to meet my God that just saved me on, like on this mountain and they come to the base of it, right? Like all excited. Okay, we're going to meet, we're going to encounter God here at this mountain there at the base of it. And then what do you start seeing? You see, um, you see these thick clouds, you see thunder and lightning coming on the mountain. It's like, oh my goodness, what is happening here in this whole thing? It says that uh, there is a trumpet blast that's so loud, this trumpet blast, that they begin like trembling, right? They're just like terrified at what's happening, the sights and the sounds. And then all of a sudden, the top of the mountain just bursts into flames because God has come onto the top of this mountain and it bursts into flames and there's smoke just pouring off of it like smoke out of a kiln. And you just picture these people, they're being warned, look, keep everything away from the mountain. If even an animal touches the, this mountain, like they're going to die, like keep everybody back from the mountain, the mountain itself begins to shake, right? And so you just picture this whole scene of like insane intensity. And Moses steps up. He's got to be the guy that's going to go talk to this God now. And Moses starts talking to God and God answers in thunder, it says. Like what an intense, crazy scene, and we're meant to see here, like the, the reason that this um, author in Hebrews is pulling all this out is he's trying to help us see like this is the God that Israel worshipped, like God's people. And so he, he says it like this, back to Hebrews 12, verse 18. You have not come to what can be touched, to a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. They, they literally, like, after this encounter with God at Sinai, the people were like, Moses, you go ahead and talk to God for us. Like, we can't handle talking to him anymore, so you just tell us what he says because we can't handle being that close to him. 
Sinai was this terrifying experience. So we, the first mountain he gives us, Mount Sinai, is an encounter with God where God is there in all of his grandeur, all of his greatness, all of his holiness. Sinai was terrifying because it is terrifying for a holy, big, powerful God to be living with sinful, broken people, right? For us who, who are sinful, who stray from God, who don't treat him like he's holy, to come into the presence of a God who's holy like that is a terrifying thing. And everything about this scene, everything the author of Hebrews is showing us is trying to get us into the experience of what it would be like to encounter God like this. It's terrifying. I couldn't help this week but picturing, um, you know, somebody coming in and they just read, they, they don't know anything about the Bible, they don't know anything about the New Testament, they just read Exodus 19, and then they come, they're like, oh, there's actually a group of people that still worships that God that was on Mount Sinai. Like, oh man, I'd love to see what that's about, right? And then they walk in here and um, we're singing our songs and we're doing what we do when we worship, right? And they'd be like, wait, really? Like, they're worshiping that God from Exodus, like that one that was in fire on top of the mountain and all the smoke and all the loud trumpet blasts and all the shaking, like that's who they're singing to? It kind of looks like they're a little bit bored as they sing, right? You can just imagine that, that disconnect. I think we, we lose the sense of the grandeur of God. And the reminder is the same God that Moses and Israel encountered at Sinai, that's the same God that we're worshiping here together, right? It's the same God that, like he has not changed in all this time. Now, We've changed, and how we interact with them has changed, and that's part of what this um, passage is going to get us uh, into. Um, but the whole thing is he's saying, like, look, this is, like, you've got to see, this is the God that we're worshiping. But look at how it starts in verse 18. But you have not come to what may be touched. This, you have not come to this. He describes Mount Sinai. This is not the mountain you've come to. This is not how we're relating to God right now. So what is he going to say? He's going to draw a contrast. That was the old way through Mount Sinai. Now there's a second mountain and a new way of connecting with God. Um, and it comes a, a, with Mount Zion. It says this in verse uh, 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in feastal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So here is this contrast. The contrast is stark. You've come to a different mountain. It's Mount Zion. And, and whereas in, um, it, it, at Sinai, everything, they're at the base of the mountain, and they're looking up, and it's terrifying. Lightning, thunder, smoke, fire, everything about that is, like, terrifying. And it's not, it's not relational. Like, it's not like a, a, a good, like, connection. Like, let's go have a chat with God. It's like, make sure you can see how big and powerful God is. Now, it's like with Mount Zion, everything about this description is, um, it's almost like we're being pulled up to the top of the mountain. Like, almost like now we can see what's happening above the clouds and smoke and thunder and lightning. And what is up above is there's this city of the living God, right? And, and he's, he's the judge of all, but also, like, we're there with the angels. And they're, they're in this, like, festive clothing. And, and um, we're there celebrating. And the, the, the spirits, the, the, the bodies, the... The, um, those that we've lost, the, the saints that have been now made perfect in the presence of the Lord, he's like, they're all there. And so what we're invited into is coming, not cowering at the foot of the mountain, but now drawn actually into the presence at the top of the mountain. This is what Mount Zion is all about, is being present with the Lord in this place. Everything about it is this invitation to come directly to God. And so the author of Hebrews is saying, 
You haven't come to this mountain where you're just cowering and you're separated and you're like, what is going on? But now we've come to this Mount Zion where because of Jesus, because he's invited us in, because it talks about how he's the mediator of a new covenant. Now we come and Jesus invites us in. Everything about the book of Hebrews is about how we're, we're, we're invited because of Jesus to come boldly to the throne of grace. There's still this greatness, this grandeur to God, but everything is this invitation to say, come boldly. You belong in his presence. He wants to be with you. And so we follow this invitation to come boldly to the throne. In verses 18 to 21, when it's describing uh, Mount Sinai, there's not even a mention of God. It's just all these images that conjure up the fear and the greatness of him without even mentioning his name. But starting in verse 22, we begin to see God himself is mentioned. And Jesus himself is mentioned, him as a mediator, him as the one who sprinkled blood that's better blood than the, the blood of Abel. I think that's all about... Abel was killed by his brother Cain, and Abel's blood cried out for vengeance. Um, who's going to, like, take vengeance on this? Jesus' blood, when he died, when he shed it, it doesn't cry out for vengeance. It cries out for grace and forgiveness and reconciliation and healing. And so there's this invitation that we have to not now know God from a distance, but to actually relate to him. I, I think the craziest thing about this is you take the two mountains, Sinai and Zion. And both are true encounters with God, right? Everything about what happened on Mount Sinai is true of God, and he is still that God. What makes this Mount Zion vision different is it's our relationship to that God. When we're standing there and we're distant and we're seeing, okay, he's holy, man, it's terrifying. But when we see what Jesus has done to invite us in, to bring us in, all of the greatness and the grandeur of God brings us into a place where we are part of a celebration of who God is, and we see that we are loved, and accepted. Um, It's not that God's holiness gets downplayed in the New Testament. It's that Jesus provides us a path to experience that holiness with him. It's an amazing thing. It's this picture of, ultimately, I think what this Mount Zion picture is doing is these are all things that we're going to experience later. Like when we get to heaven, when we, when we die or when Jesus comes back, we will be there and we'll have our restored bodies. We'll be there with all of our brothers and sisters, all of our family members that have died before us. And that it talks about the, the spirit to those, uh, the righteous made perfect, right? They're in the presence of God. All of this is something we're going to experience later. But what he says is, you haven't come now to Mount, Z- Mount Sinai but you've come now to this other mountain, Mount, Mount Zion. You have come, like you're already there at this mountain. So somehow, living in this world that we do, with all the brokenness and all the, the disillusionment and all the ailments that we have, all of this, somehow he's like, you're already there at Mount Zion with the Lord. You're above all the clouds and the smoke with God himself. Um, and you're experiencing now what we're ultimately more fully going to experience later. It's a, a beautiful picture of this whole thing. We've come to it already and we get to experience it. So what do we do with this? These two things. Um, it gets a little bit weirder before it gets uh, less weird. He talks about this great shaking that's going to come. So l- look at verses uh, 25 through 27 here. It says, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. All right, let's pause um, there. So this whole picture has two elements. There's a warning from God, and then there's a shaking of everything that we experience. 
the warning um, he's saying on Mount Sinai is here's this God that's like big and powerful and they can hear the voice of God saying like, I am holy and if I'm going to be living here with you as I am, then like you need to treat me as holy. So there's the warning. And he's saying they disregarded the warning and they, they did. They disregarded the warning. It did not go well for Israel to keep ignoring God and treating him like he was not holy. But he's saying, don't refuse the one that's speaking because if it didn't go well for them then, it's not going to go well for us now. If we hear the voice of God inviting us in and warning us about like living our lives as though he doesn't exist, treating him as though he's not holy, if we can't hear that voice calling to us now, even though that voice is full of grace and that voice is full of invitation, he's saying if it didn't go well for Israel, it's not going to go well for us now to just say, ah, I, I don't really care about that gracious invitation that I have, that warning that I'm hearing I'm just going to live my life. He's saying, like, listen, pay attention. I love, too, that he says, don't refuse him who is speaking. Like, it's present tense. It's present tense. It's not past tense. Don't, Don't refuse the one that has spoken in the past. And I think sometimes we treat it like that's all this is, just God having spoken to us in the past. But he's saying he is speaking. Present tense, God is still speaking to us. He's still warning us. He's still inviting us. That's huge, and we cannot take that for granted there's this huge invitation. The question is, he's, he's listening. That's true. It's important. The question is, are we listening? Are we heeding his calls? When we, when we say, like, okay, Lord, I am called by your name. Lord, I'm, I'm transformed by your grace. Lord, I'm here to follow you and what you call me into. We, we kind of implicitly say that by gathering together. The question is, are we taking that seriously? And we're worshiping this God are we picturing him as he really is? And are we, are we refusing the invitation and the warnings that he gives us? <clears throat> so there's this warning. The other thing that he gives us is there is a shaking, a great shaking, okay? It's a really interesting concept um, in verse 26. He, he did shake the earth. His voice shook the earth. But now he's promised one more time, I'm going to shake not only the earth, but also the heavens, okay? So picture... Mount Sinai, and God's speaking, and the whole thing is so intense that the earth just like quakes uh, at at him speaking. But he's saying, it's going to happen again. And this time it's going to shake the earth itself, and it's going to shake the heavens. Like, this is going to be a big thing that's going to shake the whole thing out. This is common uh, throughout the Old Testament prophets. They talk about the day of the Lord that's going to come, the time that the Lord comes back and he gets, sets everything to rights, um, and there's going to be earthquakes and trembling and shaking and those kinds of things. Revelation talks about um, when the Lord comes back in the end times, there's going to be these earthquakes and these shakings. I think it's all references to the same thing of a time that God's just going to come back to his creation, and he's just going to kind of shake the whole thing out. Um, I can't help picturing... Uh, like a time where like, you know, this doesn't happen really, but like, let's just say I was chilling late at night at, at home, watching something on TV, probably a show about the Bible or something like that. And uh, I'm wrapped in a blanket to stay com- com- uh, comfy and cozy. And I've got some snacks, you know, like chips, cookies, whatever. And just the crumbs and everything gets on the blanket. Like I, you know, people have described this kind of a scene to me before. So use your imagination. <clears throat> and you get up, you get up and you just take that blanket, right? And you just shake it, okay? And everything that is the blanket stays intact and, and belongs to the blanket. But everything that falls off of that does not belong to the blanket, right? It just goes on the floor and then like miraculously next day it all just is vacuumed up or something. It's crazy how it works. <clears throat> but it's like the picture is, this is what God's doing with the universe itself, right? It's like he's taking the whole thing and he's just like, okay, here is this world that I've made, the heavens and the earth that I've made. And it's like he takes it and he's just like, I'm going to shake the whole thing. 
And everything that's non-essential, everything that's irrelevant to what God designed, everything that's not part of his, um, his goal for this world and us and everything else, just gets shaken off and falls, and you're just left with the world as God intended it to be. Now, I, I think that's beautiful because, I mean, that's what we want, right? This world is a beautiful place. This world is full of goodness and beauty. It's full of these pointers to God and these reminders of who he is. Like, it, his fingerprints are everywhere, but there's also so much sin and brokenness and there's so much animosity that we have towards each other and towards God and all of this that just piles up and just pollutes the world. It's like God's just saying, I'm going to come and shake the whole thing out. And I picture like our own lives, everything we do that we live and there's things about our lives that are pursuits that are um, so vital, so beautiful, our, our relationships, the way we care for each other, the way we care for our kids and and, uh, and people in our church family that are sick. There's all these beautiful things that are part of the way God wants the world to be. But there's also all the things that, that don't matter, right? There's the outright sin uh, that we pursue. We talked about that uh, some a couple weeks ago. There's also the, um, just the irrelevant pursuits. You know, the times that we spend watching Netflix for an inordinate amount of times, the times that we spend like, like trying to get just like one more rung up on the uh, the work ladder or whatever, and we throw so much of ourselves into these things where if I'm picturing God shaking out um, the blanket of my life, like, are these times that I spend uh, pursuing my own comfort or pursuing my own prestige or whatever, are these going to be part of what is left behind or are these going to be the things that shake out? And I'm picturing, picture your work life and like, all the pieces, all the delicate, fragile pieces that have to be right. And you have to know this person if you're going to get a um, promotion. I've got to have my numbers at this level if I'm going to get a promotion. The timing has to fit together. And we spend so much time trying to get everything to fit so that I can get to that next level. And the fragility of all that and just picturing God shaking is like, hey, some of these things are not going to survive the shaking. But what will survive, I think, are the ways that we like love and care for our coworkers, right? The ways that we represent Christ in the, in the relationships that we have, the way we stand by people when they're hurting and in pain, like these are the parts, these are the things that are part of God's new creation as well, and they're going to survive the whole thing. Um, our family dynamics, the way that we try to keep everything perfect for the people looking on, that's all going to get shaken out and shaken up, I think. Um, but the ways that we invest in each other, in our kids, or the way we forgive and love each other, like these things last and they matter, the, the elements of our church life. Man, there's things about what we do as a typical suburban American church that I think gets shaken out in the end. Um, as much as I love, like, our, our facilities are beautiful. Our new, like, backyard back here is amazing. Like, all, like the, the programs that we have, the way that we structure things, um, all that I love. But I think when God shakes the whole thing out, like, maybe those aren't the vital pieces of the whole thing. Maybe what's essential and um, and, and like the unshakable part of this whole thing is more about what we, what we uh, rest on in the truth of God's word. Maybe it's more about the way we worship God himself. Maybe it's the way that we love each other and reach out to bless our communities. Um, maybe those are the things that are worth building on that can't be shaken away, the investments that we make. Um, there, there's this uh, sculptor uh, named Lynn Aldrich, and um, she talks about how art, um, like her sculptures and the art that she makes, um, it gets down to the essential nature of, of the way the world is. I like the way she describes it. She says, the actual presence of real stuff in real space in real time is laden with given significance derived from outside of itself. It testifies to an extravagant purposefulness beyond its particular limitations. Most of us sense that there is more to know than what we see. 
This is a feature of human knowing often addressed in the arts, where the object or performance one observes points to or hints at a bigger, a reality bigger than or beyond itself. I think what she's saying is like when she makes a sculpture, a piece of art, like you look at a thing and you, rec- you recognize, okay, this is cool, this is interesting, but there's some meaning like beyond this, right? And she's saying that's actually true of all the physical objects in the world. And she's saying all art kind of draws our attention to the greater significance. Okay, this exists, but this significance comes bigger and beyond it. So I think art does that for us. It cuts down, cuts away from the irrelevant pieces of life and gets down to the core and the bigger meaning, um, to maybe to the essence of a thing itself. And I would say another thing that does that in this world is, I think worship does that. Worship cuts down to the essence of it. I, like, it is so healthy for us as human beings to be living, we live in this world where everything is so distracting, right? Everything that we're taught to pursue and care about is like, um, is just all over the map. And it's so healthy for us to come together to a place where we're saying, okay, week by week, I'm going to make sure that I've got time to come and sit with these people that I love and these people that love me, right? These people that I accept and extend grace towards and these people who accept and extend grace towards me. And together, what we're going to do is we're going to, like, we, we dim the, the lights so that we have, like, distractions are kind of gone. We can hear the voices of our brothers and sisters singing around us, singing over us, but the distractions are gone so that I can sit here and be reminded that, that, Above and beneath and before and behind everything is this reality that there's a God who exists that loves us deeply. A God who is ultimate reality. A God that shapes everything about the world in the way that he wants it to be. In a way that is leading towards something that's ultimately very good for all of us. It's so healthy for us to have these rhythms in our life where we come back, we step away from all that, and we say, okay... For a minute, I, I'm not going to be uh, important. I'm not going to be rich or poor. I'm not going to be um, a stressed out person or an altogether person. I'm not going to be someone who plans ahead or someone who's last minute. I'm just going to be someone who's part of a group of people that together we just close our eyes and we just say, Lord, you are good, right? As much as we can, you know, know the words, sometimes there's the songs we don't know the words of, but I even like closing my eyes and I can hear you guys singing and just to be able to say to the Lord some of the things we say, it's so good for us because it, it cuts down to the essence of it all, which is there's a good God and, and he, is, he is worth worshiping um, in any situation, in anything. So when God shakes the earth, like what's going to be left behind? I think these moments of worship are are the thing where we're coming and we're not just talking about God, but when we worship, when we're worshiping, whether that's through uh, the obedience in our lives, whether it's through the way that we interact with each other, or whether it's the words that we sing together, when we worship, we're getting down to something that is unshakable, something that is vital, that's essential about the, how the world works. Now let's look at how he ties this up. Um, this is the end of, of Hebrews chapter 12 here. He says this, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And, let the, uh, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Now, I love the way that he ends this because he started in the beginning talking about God as a fire, right? He's like, you haven't come to Mount Sinai where God was like this fire on top of the mountain and everyone was standing there trembling. But now that he closes us off, he's saying you've, you've, you've come to Mount Sinai and, or Mount Zion and there's this experience of God and there's this connection and there's this acceptance there. But he ends the whole thing still by saying, um, because remember, our God is a consuming fire. There's still this reminder that God has not changed. We've changed. The way we relate to him has changed. But God is still this consuming fire. The difference is we're invited to, like, come and be with him. 
to like, we, we, get to be, we get to enter into that consuming fire, which is a crazy thought. But if you picture Moses, who had that experience with God in the burning bush, um, Moses is there looking and the bush catches on fire and God's speaking to him out of the bush, but the bush is not consumed. I think it's like we get drawn into this consuming fire and somehow we survive in the midst of it because we're there in the presence of God. And so he's calling us, like our God is a consuming fire. So here's these two things that we have to do. He mentions, he mentions two actions um, that we need to take. Go ahead, let's be, a, let's be a, um, a call and response kind of a church for a second. What are the two things that he mentions? What's the first one? Shout it out, guys. Let's go. Be thankful. Be, thankful. be grateful. Exactly. And the second one? Worship. Let's offer acceptable worship to God. Good job, guys. I know this is out of our comfort zone. You guys did pretty good. Solid C plus right there. <laughs> So therefore, in light of all this, and in light of this shaking that God's going to do, he's saying, therefore, let us be uh, grateful, right? Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And so the call, the reminder here is like, think about everything God has done. Think of all, like everything we're invited into. Think of standing at the foot of the mountain and feeling so terrified of who God is, and then hear him talking about, but look, you've come to this Mount Zion, and you get to stand there being part of the celebration of what's happening with God, with the Trinity. Like, what a beautiful thing. And the reminder, the call is, um, man, be, be grateful for who God is. See all of who God is. We've talked a lot about who God is in a big picture sense over the last several weeks, and he's just saying, like, when we see all that, when we encounter God, Let's just be grateful. Let's just see, man, we get to receive this unshakable kingdom from God. And, and it's not about, like, it's not about seeing God as, like, an indulgent parent. That, like, he used to be, he used to be pretty strict, but lately, like, you know, God's more like a grandpa than, like, a dad. Like, he really lets you get away with a lot now. Um, it's seeing he's still the consuming fire, beginning and end. He hasn't changed in all that time. Um, it, like, God is not chill. Uh, it wasn't then and is not now chill, right? But because of his extreme love for us, he's laid his life down and he's reconciled us. He's forgiven us all of our sins. He's made this path, this way to be with us. He himself has come to us to bring us to him. It's beautiful. And so he's just saying, like, look, how do we respond to all these things? Let's just be grateful. Let's just show gratitude to who God is. So I want to talk about the worship part of that. But before I do that, I want to... Uh, I want to just take a second, and I want to ask you just to pause for a second. I'm going to give you an awkward moment of silence here. And I just want you to think of, when you hear that phrase, let us be grateful, uh, when you think of God, what comes into your mind when you hear that phrase, let us be grateful? Just close your eyes for a second. I'll give you a minute to just ponder that. have a lot to be thankful for. So the first thing he says is, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. So when we respond to who God is, when we've had an encounter with God, um, the right thing to do is to be grateful 
and to worship, okay? Let's offer to God acceptable worship. And that, like, all through Hebrews, that acceptable worship looks like acts of obedience. It looks like um, living lives of holiness. Like, that's how we worship the Lord, is not just with the words that we say, but it's how we um, engage ourselves in the whole thing. But it also, it, it's about, like, we worship God with reverence and awe. We, we try to remind ourselves to see, like, this is who he really is. Like, this is actually who our God is. And so with reverence, with awe, knowing that he still is a consuming fire, we say, okay, my, my heart is full of gratitude and it's full of this worship of just saying, Lord, you are big, you are good. And what we're going to do is we're going to respond to God. Now, so I'm going to invite the band to come back up and they're going to lead us in, um, in some singing. And again, like worship is always so much bigger than singing, but I think we need the singing on a regular rhythm because the singing reminds us, it puts us like outside of this mode. We're not asking you to like learn anything through these songs. We're not asking you to figure anything out with the songs. What we do when we sing is we're just saying, okay, we need to always hear from the voice of God. That's why we open the Bible every time we get together like this. We need to hear the voice of God and we need to, we need to take a minute to respond and just say, Lord, you are worthy. You are good. So our proper posture to God, if we're going to approach God, if we're going to talk about him, if we're going to pray anything, our posture is worship. Lord, I, I'm here um, to, to glorify you, to worship you. And our proper response when we've encountered God is just saying, okay, reverence, ah, Lord, you are so good. My heart is so full of gratitude. And I just need to say, Lord, you are good. Now, that doesn't mean we have everything figured out, right? Um, a lot of us have experienced really hard things in life. A lot of us are going through really hard things right now. And so gratitude does not mean everything in my life is as good as it could possibly be, right? But it's saying, even in the pain, I know, Lord, you're there. And, and even in the pain, I know there's so many other things about my life that, you, that are gifts that you've given me. I can be full of gratitude and I can sit here even in the brokenness of my life, even with a lot of unresolved things, and tell you, Lord, that you are good and that you are big. And so... Before we sing these songs, let's take another moment of silence here. And I want us to picture this idea of worshiping God with reverence and awe. So picture God for a minute as that consuming fire that came down onto the top of Mount Sinai. Just picture that in your mind for a minute. think about the reality that Hebrews speaks to, which is that this consuming fire of a God is a compassionate high priest that invites us in behind the curtain where we can sit there and worship God with boldness. Lord, as we talk about this, as we think about this, um, Lord, would you fill our hearts with gratitude and with praise? Lord, you are so good. And I thank you for reminders like this, that you are a God who is transcendent above everything. And yet also, Lord, you somehow are a God who is imminent. You are close, you are near, and you invite us in to your heart, to an experience of you, Lord. It's so beautiful. Lord, maybe we remember that this morning. As we worship you, Lord, to, today and week by week as we worship, Lord, would, our, would you pull us beyond just the words? Would you pull us beyond just the song and invite us into a space where we hear each other's voices, where we 
speak directly to you or we listen to you, Lord, may we encounter and relate to you, not from a distance, not cowering in fear, but still standing in reverence and awe um, and knowing that we are your children and we're loved by you. Lord, may our worship now in this moment reflect that. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.